Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. I'm Ronald Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. I'm recording this introduction at, well, it's almost 1am. Uh, about six hours before this episode goes live. Uh, I'm doing that despite the fact that I could have written and recorded this introduction much more conveniently at almost any time in the last five days. Instead, I left it to the very last minute and literally the most inconvenient and most unpleasant time to actually write and do the recording. At a moment when I'm tired and I'd really rather be doing any number of other things, primarily sleeping. The reason why I do such a counterintuitive and counterproductive thing is I learned about three years ago because I have ADHD, like some 3-5% to of adults, and I have done my whole life. It's a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means it's something physically built into my brain, which makes me bad at doing the things I'd like, really like to do at the times I'd really like to do them. But I'm an expert at delving into unexpected byways and rabbit holes and tangents. So for me, at least, it's both a blessing and a curse. It's both what has caused me to do some of the things I'm most proud of in my life and the thing which has brought me perhaps the greatest unhappiness. So ADHD is the subject of today's episode. Heidi Bernhardt is a psychiatric nurse by training, a mother of three grown sons with ADHD, and the founder of the Centre for ADHD Awareness Canada, or CADAC, a Canadian charity dedicated to awareness, education and advocacy for ADHD. Heidi was the executive director of the Canadian ADHD Resource Alliance, or CADRA, uh, a national not-for-profit organisation of the leading clinicians and researchers in ADHD in Canada from 2006 to 2012. During those years, she built CADAC in her volunteer life, nationally incorporating CADAC as a non-for-profit in uh, 2006, and becoming executive director and president from 2012 to 2019. Heidi currently focuses on the development of ADHD education and advocacy material and systemic advocacy while holding the role of Director of Education and Advocacy for CADAC. She also continues to teach and present on ADHD for CADAC. Oh, welcome, Heidi Bernhardt, to the 905 podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, I, mean, I should point out, first of all, that this episode is going out in November, and it's our ADHD awareness episode, um, and ADHD awareness month is October mm-hmm. um, and I have ADHD and it's late <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's kind of a cliche as kind of almost like a, a too obvious a joke to make other than the fact that it is also all true um, so um, Heidi you you founded the uh, CADAC which is the Center for ADHD Awareness Canada mm-hmm. and you founded that in 2004 uh, I think yes and I thought maybe if we just start off by um, talking about how how you came uh, to do that uh, and um, and the kind of history of the uh, of the organization. Sure. So I have three sons with ADHD now, all grown, living on their own, <laughs> doing you know their their own thing. Um, you know, I've got a grandson with ADHD and autism. So, but way back when, when my uh, oldest was diagnosed at the age of 14, after about three and a half years and five medical professionals and struggling to get him assessed and getting all kinds of 
off-the-wall diagnoses and finally getting a diagnosis of ADHD, I started looking around for supports and resources and information. And I have a background in psychiatric nursing. So I had access to a lot more than the average person could. So I was reading textbooks by Dr. Russell Barkley way back then. I mean, we're talking uh, more than 30 years ago. And I mean, these were, sorry, these were medical textbooks. So they were very depressing, right? There was almost nothing there for parents. And um, I found out uh, about a group of parents who were marting, uh, meeting at Markham Stovall Hospital, a support group, immediately joined them. It was their first meeting, said, how can I help? got involved in helping them run the local group. But then after years of doing that, realized there was no national organization. There was nobody doing awareness work nationally. There was nobody doing advocacy work. There were the the odd sort of support groups scattered around the country. Nobody was networking. There were no as to government, nothing. Right. So um, myself and a few other people interested in this got together 2004, uh, formed CADAC nationally incorporated as a not for profit in 2006. And in 2020, we became a national uh, charity. So we're the only national organization for ADHD in Canada. There is a an adult organization that's an offshoot of um, a U.S. organization, but we're the only sole Canadian organization doing that. So, uh, and while I was growing Kadak in my volunteer time, I was the executive director of CADRA, which is our sister organization, which is the national not-for-profit of the leading medical uh, uh, experts in ADHD. And I was their executive director for about six and a half years while I grew Kodak in my volunteer uh, life. So the first number of years was solely volunteer till we could get it up and running. But now we've grown phenomenally. And to kind of explain the difference to people between CADRA and CADRA, CADRA is more aimed at at the professionals, the doctors and the, the psychiatrists and uh and and CADEC is very much aimed at people living with ADHD themselves or their family members their parents their spouses whatever yeah yeah and we also do a lot of uh I mean I personally do a lot of educational sessions for educators as well if if I'm called out and a lot of community presentations on ADHD a lot of media um trying to build uh awareness of ADHD and a lot of advocacy meeting with governments, that kind of thing. So Kadak has, has got some advocacy initiatives on the go right now. And we're asking actually people who are interested in this to go to the website and actually use the platform we have to contact their MPs and their MPPs, MLAs, uh, because we need them to know more about ADHD. You know, when people, when people hear ADHD, they're going to immediately go, gravitate towards the idea of this is a childhood disease, right? Like it's kids get diagnosed because they run around the classroom and they don't listen to mom and dad. So therefore they must have ADHD. Why? why it's just kids who, who don't know how to behave. Um, 
I'm going to suspect you're about to tell me that that's not entirely the case. And that's not, <laughs> that's only a small slice of the, of the picture. And I'm wondering, maybe just, just bring bring everyone up to speed. Like what exactly is ADHD? How does this appear? And the fact that this isn't necessary, this, we should, maybe we should stop thinking of this solely as like a childhood uh, uh, diagnosis. Exactly. And thank, thanks very much for bringing that up because there are a lot of myths and misunderstandings about ADHD. ADHD for the vast majority of children who are not diagnosed or people who have it is a lifelong disorder. The new research has shown us that about 85 to 90% of kids who are diagnosed go on to have impairments in adulthood. So what it is, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. And that means it's a disorder that shows up early in the stages of neurodevelopmental, usually before school, early school, but we don't always recognize it then, right? So we're still diagnosing, you know, kids, adolescents, adults, we're still diagnosing, you know, 60, 70, 80 year olds who we've missed, right? So the hallmark of ADHD is it is an impairment in attention regulation, so those with ADHD can overfocus as much as they underfocus. They have difficulty prioritizing what they're supposed to be focusing on, the important thing rather than the interesting shiny thing. And they have difficulty switching their focus, especially if their focus is locked into something they're very interested in or is very stimulating. So we get this issue a lot because parents say, my kid can't possibly have ADHD. They play computer games for six hours straight. No, that's classic ADHD, actually, right? And the other fallacy is you do not have to have hyperactivity and impulsivity to have ADHD. That is one presentation of ADHD, but um, the presentation we refer to as primarily inattentive or we used to call ADD, we don't use that term medically anymore, although media still does, um, you don't have hyperactivity and impulsivity. And actually these kids or adults with that form can look actually rather lethargic or you know, underactive. Uh, They're very often the, the kids who are kind of daydreamy back of the class, more often that presentation occurs in girls and women, but not exclusively. We see it in males as well. Put my hand up here. <laughs> and that that is the description of me as a child uh, and as an adult. Uh, and uh, Joel, to his uh, credit, has dealt with my... Um, I'm the one single-handedly holding this whole operation together. There, well, I said exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, it's actually true. Yeah. I do give Joel credit for that. He's he's he keeps this thing running. Uh, uh, yeah, and that that's I was never diagnosed until I was uh, forty nine, I think. Um, or officially diagnosed, I think I was fifty, fifty one even. Um, uh, because of that, because I, it didn't fit didn't fit what most people and in fact most doctors in the past certainly would have thought or perceived to be uh, signs of ADHD I mean it's like yeah in a t I mean I was described a teacher famously famously in my family anyway said to my parents at an open day you know when you know said, well he's either very very slow or stupid 
this, was, this is what you could get away with saying as a teacher in the 1970s. Uh, and um, I was, um, you know, I, 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 as I went on in life and went to university and got various qualifications, uh, people would, <laughs> friends would go and tell this teacher, you know, that kid you called stupid. Uh, but she was quite right in the way that it was very, very slow because there's, you know, the whole attentive thing. And I, you know, I had subjects I was very, very good at because I was interested in them. And I had subjects I was terrible at because I wasn't interested. And, and just it's purely about the interest level, really, that 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 made the difference. Um, so, you know, math, languages um, in particular were the two that were absolute, you know, murder for me. Uh, and I, I guess... Um, that brings us to some of more of the of the the kind of things that people say about ADHD, which is, you know, a, well, this never used to exist in the past. Why is it that all these kids have ADHD now? I mean, really, they just need some discipline, or or you know, they just need to pull their socks up. You know, these are the kind of phrases that get thrown around. Um, and um, uh, uh, <laughs> and I've lost my thread, which is another very very <laughs> classic ADHD. What was I talking about? Um, uh, well, yeah, let's let's address that first. The kind of idea that you know that this is one of these made-up, fashionable diseases. Now everybody has ADHD, and you know, from, from the public perception, the perception might be that there's too many people being diagnosed with ADHD. Whereas it, within the kind of ADHD world, all the talk is about the people who are falling between the cracks and not being diagnosed and not receiving medication that that could really transform their lives. So uh, maybe you could talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and of course, because I, I deal a lot with media, I, I hear a lot of those statements still. And, um, you know, actually, we know in Canada, we're still somewhat underdiagnosing and undertreating, especially in adulthood. If we look at, you know, sort of standardized worldwide rates of uh, ADHD, um, there's actually been very, very good large studies that have looked at uh, research data across the world. And we've actually been able to find out, you know, rates of ADHD aren't actually going up. We're just getting better at picking up those kids or picking them up in adulthood that we missed, right? So we're starting to understand that ADHD isn't just the hyperactive little boy. You know, they may be the very bright kids with ADHD who aren't failing school, but they're also not working to their potential. And we tend to pick them up in university or when they're doing their doctorate or something, right? Because they've been able to get through just on sheer intelligence, yet they've usually put in a whole lot of extra work um, to get there. And, and of course, we've got significant consequences to people when we don't assess and diagnose. We know huge uh, increased rates of mental health illnesses, anxiety and depression and issues with substance use with people trying to self-medicate and, you know, on and on, that's a whole hour discussion on its own as to the consequences of not assessing and diagnosing. But again, we have to be careful in Canada that we don't buy into a lot of the US media and the incident rates they're talking about there because our data is very different. 
uh, here in Canada. And we know we're, we still need to do a better job at, at assessing them and diagnosing. Uh, and maybe, I mean, speak a little bit more about the, the, uh, and I think for some parents, there's maybe that feeling that, well, even if my child does have ADHD tendencies, you know, we don't want to medicate a child at the age of, of 10 or 12 or something, you know, um, uh, or people are misusing the drugs as a way to sort of calm down children or it turns people into zombies or any of this. Um, maybe you could address a the sort of myths about some of the medication and b um, uh, uh, yeah a, a little bit more about just just what goes wrong for people who 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 aren't diagnosed or aren't who who aren't treated. Sure. So um, I'll talk a bit about treatment and medication first. So treatment should be always what we call multimodal. Um, it should never, ever be medication alone. First off, we want to do what we call psychoeducation is train all of the adults around the child about what ADHD is, how it impacts that child, how to support the child. And we also want to educate the child. Kadak actually has um, a series of three animated videos specifically to educate the kids with ADHD as to, as to what it is, um, you know, but that adolescents, adults, we want them to understand what's going on because if they don't, they buy into all of that negative messages that they're lazy, they're just not trying hard enough, they're not motivated enough, they're not very bright. Um, and it this really takes a toll on their self-esteem. And one of the reasons we think rates of anxiety and depression go up significantly. I mean, we've new Canadian research has shown one in four women with ADHD has attempted suicide. I mean, that's wow. pretty daunting, right? Mm -hmm. So, but that being said, with psychoeducation, and then we, you know, for kids, we look at tutoring with executive functioning, but a lot of parenting strategies. We also very, very, very much want them to have supports and accommodations in the school system. ADHD does not impact I. Q, Roland, as you talked about before, kids with ADHD are just as bright as other kids. They can learn. But again, the education system has to understand what's going on with them, right, per se. But then, um, you know, there, there's other things like, you know, physical exercise. We know that helps the brain function well, those kind of things. But Medication. So when we're talking about ADHD and the impairment of attention regulation, there aren't too many other strategies we can put in place to help the focus, right? The, uh, the attention, the switching attention. Um, medication does a very good job uh, for that. And most often, the reason a parent considers medication is because the child is significantly struggling at school. We know the kid's bright. We know the kid can learn, but they're not being successful. Their attention is turned off for most of the day, so they're they're missing things. Sorry, Joel, did you know? I I well, I, I should. I just wanted to. Something you were mentioning is just kind of uh, uh, speak the question in my head. It was the the 
the question of like our, our current systems for for diagnosing the these uh, the, this uh, this mental uh, illness uh, is do, do you think it's it's sufficient? I mean, we we constantly go back to putting pressure on our school system to catch, diagnose, and treat these these systems. I'll, I'll stop you there. A school system never assesses, diagnoses, <laughs> or diagnose. I, I I I understand, but. It, a parent would send their kid to school and is going to assume the school, like the teacher is supposed to identify, well, this, this child is struggling. Therefore there's something wrong. There's something quote unquote wrong with them. I got to get the, 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 they got to be sent to be diagnosed. And the idea is that the schools, the kind of catch all be all for treatment. I mean, that that's the well general perspective. And I'm wondering, like, is that the case or, or should we yeah. be looking at, at an alternative, more maybe a more holistic approach to treating—not treating, but uh, catching. And the reason why I brought it up is because you're mentioning how people were going through life. They get through school, high school, and they get so far, you know, get striving for a PhD before they're finally caught. Like, hey, you have this, and that's why I bring it up is that we're relying on. Well, the school's supposed to catch it. You're supposed to catch yeah. it in school. Okay, so the 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 school. We're not saying the school is supposed to catch it. The school is um, a entity that we can get good feedback from, right? So in a school setting, this is where we put the greatest load on a child's attention, also their executive functioning, which is organization, time management, problem solving, all of those kind of things that we know is impaired with ADHD. So um, usually, very often, it's the school that will first come to a parent and say, okay, we've seen your child struggling in this way. We've tried to put in these kind of things to support him or her, but your child's still struggling. So we're sharing that with you, right? And then if the parent says, oh my gosh, what do I do? And they, then the only thing a school can say is go and speak with your child's physician and tell them or share with the child's physician what we shared with you. I mean, at that point, the parents may very well have seen certain things going on at home, the child being scattered, forgetting things, you know, not being able to say focus, all of those kind of things. So when a physician does an assessment for ADHD, they pull in all kinds of feedback. So we always say we have to see ADHD symptoms in more than one setting. If we're only seeing at home, only seeing at school, that, that, you know, we've got to see it everywhere. And then we also rule out anything else. It could be like eyesight, hearing, anxiety, learning, whatever, right? So it's a fairly thorough, comprehensive, um, you know, assessment that we do. We then, when there is a diagnosis, there are, as I said, multimodal treatments. So we want to see education of everybody. We want to see home and parenting strategies. We want to see school strategies. We want to, if medication 
is a choice of the parent. And I, I've just said it can be very, very helpful for these kids. It's an option. And then, you know, we want tutoring. We, you know, there, there's a whole, whole range of things. And that's what we want to see. The difficulty is if we leave school out of the equation, right? And we just expect the medication to solve it, it won't because the medication helps with attention, but it won't help with the executive functioning. It won't help this kid chunk large assignments down. It won't help them be able to, you know, problem solve on an assignment. So we need everything. Schools, yes, are part of it because a kid spends a lot of their time at school, right? So we can't leave them out. But we find what happens if schools don't support these kids, these kids will fail. I mean, we've got, some, it, it's older data, but, you know, something, you know, like um, a third of kids, you know, uh, with ADHD can drop out of high school. Like, but, you know, we don't want that. We want to keep them in because they, you can actually get better supports in post-secondary than you can in high school in Canada for ADHD. I mean, oddly enough, actually, I mean, that kind of, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly typical. Like I can't say I am anyway, but I actually found education easier the further I went on um, that the more, actually the more academic it became in a lot of ways, the better it was for me. Classrooms that were quiet where, where, because people were writing or type, uh, you know, pre, pre-computers, but the kind of chaos of it, of, it, of, 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 you know, sticking pieces of paper onto papier mache, whatever's and you know, that kind of young school world. Yeah. I hate it because it was like, I can't, my, it's just like, it was like sensory overload yeah. in retrospect. But, but I think correct it, me if I'm wrong, the further you went on Roland, the more you were able to focus in on the subject matter that you were interested yep. in and you could hyper-focus in, that you were mm-hmm. really, right? And that's ADHD. In elementary and high school, we force kids to learn a whole bunch of stuff they don't want to learn and their attention just is gone, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah I mean, and I, I was basically, my, my, my good fortune was to have parents who thought I was smart, despite all the evidence to the contrary. <laughs> um, and and really, I mean that that does speaks to the other thing that of the sort of they they happened to hit on the right approach, which was to I was very fortunate, very lucky in in being able to have tutors, and it's like, hey, well, you're you're okay, you're not good at math, we get that, uh, uh, all those things, uh, and um, yeah, I mean it, it, that's probably pretty much you know barring the the medication side which obviously i wasn't aware of uh i, I was just fortunate to have those things which so many people other people don't have and, and i guess i mean i also don't you know there are people i i suspect or i believe who are affected by adhd far more negatively than i am you know there are i mean just to, to explain to people you know this isn't just a little bit of absent-mindedness this can be something that really completely holds people back from functioning normally from holding any kind of job. I mean, you, you, you can be under, you know, and I guess it's a spectrum like other things like, uh, like autism or whatever, where there's, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, is that impression right? That basically there's a lot of variability with, with how this might sure, affect people. Yeah. It, you're right. It's on a spectrum everywhere from mild to severe. 
And the other thing with ADHD is we know 44%, I think, of children have a coexisting disorder. So very often a learning disability, anxiety, depression, a tick disorder, something else going on with their ADHD. By the time we get to adulthood, we're looking at 80%, right? Have uh, So the more other things you have going on with your ADHD, the more you're going to have difficulty and impairments. And I mean, we don't, we don't call ADHD a mental health illness. If anything, it's a mental health condition. It is, I mean, it is listed in the DSM, which is a diagnostic statistical manual of psychiatrists per se, but uh, it's called a neurodevelopmental disorder as, as is autism and learning disabilities. So that's sort of the group of disorders um, it it fit with fits with, but again, they, when I talk to parents or educators, I say the only consistent thing about ADHD, other than the attention regulation, is inconsistencies. Because ten different people with ADHD can look like ten different, very different people. It presents very differently depending on how severe you have it, what else it comes with, how many supports you have, is it being treated, is it not being treated? We can have an adult with ADHD who is in the proper job with the proper supports and settings that people may not even realize they have ADHD. Somebody else who has milder ADHD, wrong job, will totally fall apart. Um, I just, uh, we're kind of coming up near the end of the episode and I, before we go, I just wanted you to kind of they may miss maybe the boring part of the episode. Who knows? Uh, but maybe you want to talk about your current uh, campaign that that you were that you were under undergoing. Just so our listeners are aware about a bit more about the actual work that you that you're doing and and um, what you're what you're striving to accomplish. Yeah. So um, for a number of years now, we've been trying to get um, adults parents of kids with ADHD, family members, medical, anybody who's got an interest in this to contact their elected officials. Because we've done a lot of advocacy work met with a lot of ministries of health and education and child and youth and, and, and justice. Listen, a third of our, our inmates in the Canadian justice system have undiagnosed ADHD. So, you know, again, a lot of areas of government. But we write papers, you know, we present to them and they say, wow, this is, you know, yeah, we're spending a lot of money by not recognizing ADHD. But then they say, you have to go talk to the politicians because they're our bosses, right? When we talk to the politicians, they say, well, our constituents never talk to us about ADHD. We've got parents of kids with autism coming to talk to us all the time there is still a significant stigma around ADHD. We talk to a lot of adults who will talk to us personally, but they're businessmen or they're politicians or they're whatever, but they will never come out and tell you they have ADHD or come out, right? So what we're saying to people who have a personal interest in this is you have to talk to your politicians tell them this matters to you, right? We're talking five to 10% of the population here, right? Um, so our campaign right now, uh, and if you go to the CADAC website, just Google CADAC, C-A-D-D-A-C, it'll come up. 
uh, is uh, asking people to contact their elected official. And we've got a system that will take you five minutes. You just put in your postal code. It comes up with your elected official. It uh, will put information in the email box. You can alter it. You can add your own story, whatever. But it is going to be sent to your elected official to let them know you want them to pay attention to ADHD because we're asking provinces and the federal government to put together committees, task forces to look at ADHD, get the different ministries in their silos to talk about it uh, and what can be done because we know we're spending a huge amount of money on the back end, because we're not supporting ADHD, why don't we put less in the front end and we'll have better outcomes for everyone. I think, and I, I, once, again, once again, I had a, a comment I wanted to add and it's gone right out of my head. Is that I'm, I'm really being a cliche of, of, of myself today. Um, but, uh, oh, actually I've remembered what it, what it was. It was a, a, a final, final point. Um, to anybody who's listening to you, who, I mean, like me, I kind of self-diagnosed with ADHD because, I mean, I went and made sure I got it confirmed. Didn't take my own word for it, for that's for sure. But, uh, uh, but uh, anybody who thinks maybe this this describes me and maybe this explains some of the things that that that, that I've dealt with over the years. Um, well, what do you tell them to do? And uh, I was just wondering about speaking finally about the kind of the importance of people with ADHD speaking to other people with ADHD, which I know for, for me certainly has been the most important thing that I've done at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and a lot of the the contact people who contact Kadak are looking for resources. Where do we get an assessment? Where do we get diagnosed? People can definitely contact uh, Kadak. We have a resource navigator which will help them out. Unfortunately, we have a real lack of services right across Canada with lengthy wait lists. Um, but you're, you're correct, Roland, a lot of people self-diagnose with ADHD. They either see a, you know, um, documentary or they read an article or they listen to a podcast like this and they go, hmm, wow, that really sounds like me. And then they're stuck, right? What do they do? So again, it's always trying to find, you know, the assessment, get a diagnosis to get the process started. While they're waiting on that wait list, I'd suggest they go to the Kadak website. Tons of resources, videos, webinars, but we also have support groups. Uh, we've started uh, this fall, uh, actually last summer, I think, support groups for adults with ADHD across the country. And exactly as you say, Roland, many, many adults say this is actually the best form of support and treatment they have is sharing this. It validates what they're feeling, what they're struggling with, because many, many adults uh, talk about, you know, going to see medical professionals who don't believe in adult ADHD. They feel further traumatized by it being denied. So that support, you know, being part of the adult ADHD community, sharing experiences, what's worked, what hasn't, all of those things can be 
a huge benefit. And we've also got support programs for parents with ADHD and educational sessions for parents and adults with ADHD. Yeah, I, and I, I will second that uh, just as, as the final, final, final comment. Uh, uh, I'll second that, that, that I think the suddenly for adults, uh, uh, the I think I think everybody everybody with ADHD as an adult probably deals a little bit of the well, maybe I am just disorganized and lazy and maybe I am just a bit stupid maybe this ADHD thing doesn't really exist and however much you've had a diagnosis and you've taken medication and you've done that thing will niggle away at the back of your head and uh, speaking to someone else who you immediately recognizes oh you're like me um, uh, uh, can um, takes away that 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 component of it and and i think that that's certainly one of the more difficult and, and damaging sides of things that i dealt with like uh, maybe you know maybe this is all a lot of nonsense and i'm just an idiot you know and uh, and uh, yeah that that <laughs> that really grinds on you after a while <laughs> oh yeah definitely and i also suggest the more people educate themselves with adhd if you think you may have adhd Go to the Kadak website, go to our YouTube channel, watch some of the medical experts. We've got Russ Barkley, Tom Brown doing presentations and either the light bulb will go on continuously where you go, oh, wow. Yeah, that's me. Oh, that explains why I do that. Okay, right. You know, that will also help validate that. Yes, what you're you're thinking, you may have ADHD, that will then um validate that and then push you further on the journey that yeah yeah i really need to do something and get this assessed and diagnosed great thank you so much uh, heidi really appreciate you uh, joining us today and uh all the best until we meet again <laughs> my absolute pre- uh, pleasure roland thanks That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did. 
Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.